Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 263 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a nature photographer living in Madison, Wisconsin, Brent Clark. Brent is quickly becoming one of my favorite nature photographers as he always seems to find a way to present unique images that speak to me. As a fellow lover of nature, Brent and I had a great conversation this week with a focus on how to curate his photographs for presentation on his website. If you two are struggling with how to curate your own work, this episode will be really helpful to you. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I do have a limited supply of podcast t-shirts available for purchase ranging in sizes medium to XXL. If you'd like one, please check out a link in the show notes. I also wanted to let you know that I am available for mentoring, editing assistance, business coaching, and portfolio review. So if you're interested in any of those things, you can also find a link to those in the show notes as well. All right. Well, let's get to the show with our guest, Brent Clark. All right, Brent Clark, it's great to have you on the podcast, my friend. Wonderful to be here. Longtime listener. It's a, it's a huge honor. Yeah, of course. Uh, the very first time I recon- knew about you, is when you supported my podcast on Patreon like four years ago. <laughs> ah, I still have your card. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's cool. But uh, man, let me just say, I am a big fan of your photography. And I know lots of other people that are big fans of your photography as well. And so don't feel like being on this podcast is some kind of surprise or shock. Like You deserve to get your work seen. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, for for the other people that don't know about you and your photography, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Brent Clark. Uh, I'm a nerd from Madison, Wisconsin. I've been taking photos for 10 years now, um, so eventually I'm going to run out of excuses. But uh, I, I've just kind of been obsessed with it um, ever since I started, and uh, I've always been sort of outdoorsy, like i was in Boy Scouts for 13 years as a kid. I was always camping, uh, learning outdoor skills and stuff like that. And then uh, I still, you know, I have always been tinkering with like computers and software too. So I feel like when I started doing this, it just like came super natural as far as um, being outside and uh, yeah, playing with processing and stuff like that. Um, I tend to shoot over time. My style has changed. Um Actually, kind of like you, Matt, I started in like the 500 PX days, I think. Yeah. And tried to be cool and like failed horribly. <laughs> that was like 10 years ago. Yeah, 2012. Yeah. Yep. That's about right. Yep. And uh, over time, I kind of um, have gravitated toward the more like intimate style of photography as well, which I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about. But um, I only yeah. had one. I only had one photo that made it too popular on, you know, like 99, score 99. Oh, nice. Back in the day. I don't and think it I had any. A, it was a it was a composite. <laughs> of course. Interesting. <laughs> of course. Yep. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's oh, how it all started. Yeah. Uh that's a good intro for now. All right. All right. Well, that's awesome, man. What do what do you do for work? Uh between jobs at the moment, but I work in tech. I guess you'd call me like a data engineer. So I uh 
write code that moves data from one place to another? That's a succinct answer. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a data nerd myself, but I don't know how to write code. Ooh, I'm a psychology nerd, but I don't know how to help people with it. Hmm. <laughs> so like our powers combined and we would yeah. be like the ultimate force. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's just kick this off. So I know that we've talked a little bit about this offline, but you know, you're a self-described amateur, mm-hmm. which by the way means for the love of it. Uh, what are the advantages of applying that label to yourself? You stole like half my answer. Um, Dang yeah. it. <laughs> I like the word amateur because of that meaning. Like in, in English, it has negative connotations as far as like being lower quality. But I, I'm told that in French, it means or used to mean for the love of. And I mean, to me, what that means is it's just like it clarifies my intentions and how I spend my time. Um, like I really just love the process of making photographs like more than anything else. Um, I'm not big into promoting myself or selling stuff. Just love doing it. And it's like, I don't know. It's not that like professionals don't love it. In fact, they might love it more because they're spending like their whole life on it. But it's just like the proportion of my time that I spend on nature photography is like a hundred percent just making photos. And that's, that's what I like. So that's what, that's what amateur kind of means to me. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, we recently sent out a survey for the Natural Landscape Photography Awards, and we got a lot of people who answered that they felt like there should be an amateur division and a professional division. And mm-hmm. we've had lots of heated discussion about that. And there's probably like, if you just Googled it, you probably would find all kinds of arguing online about about that as well. But I'm curious... Do you feel like professionals have an advantage or a disadvantage when it comes to creating artwork? Um, man, it's I can think of so many different examples either way. I, I guess I would say advantage mostly. I'm thinking of the types that like hang out in a national park for like two months. <laughs> right. You know, like uh, I can make great photos here in Wisconsin because I can see good conditions coming. Like, oh, man, it's foggy going to a forest if say you're in death Valley and you see like a windstorm coming, you're going to bang out a bunch of awesome glowy sand dune photos. So I think just like the more days in the field, um, the better you're going to do. And I think to counter that, to play on what you had said earlier, I think if you're not pursuing it full time or for money, I think it opens up the opportunity to basically not care about what anyone else thinks about your work and you have a lot less pressure to produce. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you can experiment more. Maybe you get lucky and your experiments are loved by all and you, you want a contest. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think that's why I think it's hard to make the distinction, at least yeah. in a competition anyway, I think it's, and then like, how do you define it? Oh, so you're, you're retired. So you don't do it full time for money but you also don't have a full-time job. So like, which one are you then? It's like, there's all these caveats. <laughs> Huge gray area. Send yeah. in your tax returns and we'll define it for you. Oh, we hadn't thought of that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's, that's good, man. I think it's interesting. I was in a debate with somebody about this just the other day where they had this very strict definition that professional means you earn an income off of it. 
hundred percent, fifty percent, exactly, fifteen percent. Where do you draw the line? I don't think you should. That's just my personal opinion. Right. I and mean, then I, like, I know there's a lot of amateurs that are better than a lot of professionals. Um, not naming any names, but uh, it's just years of experience, dumb luck, natural talent, all those things, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not one of them, but I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, let's talk about how you've chosen to curate and present your work. I know that you've talked a lot about this before, but I'd be curious to hear you talk about your process for curation and presentation. Sure. Um, this is something that's continually evolving, continually evolving, and uh, it doesn't stay the same for long, but I'll just talk about what I do now. Um, I think it's really important to like think about how people consume your work, view your work, and like how you want them to, and then design your galleries and your websites and all that to kind of like gently guide them um, to, to view things the way that you want them to. Um, like as an example, do you want people to see like a ton of your images at once or one at a time? Do you want them to be the images to be like related to each other or not? Um, so after just like looking at photography, like every day for a few years, I kind of honed in on at least my own preferences. Like I like Im- uh, galleries that are 20 to 30 images. I like it when they're generally related to each other, but not too much overlap, for example. Um, and also just like in general, I like viewing work um, one photographer at a time, which, you know, hmm. uh, makes social media a little unsavory, but uh, uh, one photographer at a time means you can kind of like get a good sense of their artistic intention anywho um or or lack thereof sure yeah (laughs) you get an idea of what they're all about i think better that way um so anyway like when i i've got kind of two sections at least on my website one of them is like an archive which is more like time and place based the other one is uh i just call them collections and they're they're like curated over my entire uh career i guess so um i think the reason like the reason I do that is like maybe you can relate like when you go on a trip it, you're like super excited like you had a great time um you saw a bunch of cool new stuff you've never seen before or maybe you saw some old friends you're excited about and like I usually find that I make like 20 or 30 pretty like pretty okay images per trip um and I'm just like excited about showing those to the world and um however definitely those 20 or 30 images are not all like my best work. Right. So that's where the other galleries come in is like, I have these like always mutating and evolving uh, galleries with different themes that I kind of like move images in and out of so that uh, when people go to my website, they see like the best stuff right away. And then they get a good um, idea of what I'm all about. So I'm kind of trying to get the best of both worlds. Like, just communicate like my excitement for like the natural world and like an an experience I had, but then also like communicate my like artistic side uh, with the more curated ones. It's hard. It's really hard to do both. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Which which I think is where the way you've thought about this makes a lot of sense. um, At least for me, because I have the same problem. Like last summer I did this trip to the Alvor desert and the redwoods, which are two totally different environments Mm -hmm. 
and I didn't necessarily want to put them in the same gallery. And I ended up editing like 120 images or something like that. It was a lot. And I just needed help. I had somebody, I had David Thompson just be like, hey man, can you help me whittle these down? <laughs> That's know? the hardest but, part. Yeah, having somebody else just tell you, you know, like their <laughs> opinion, like, um, you don't need this one. It, I mean, it's a good photo, but you don't need it. And like, and maybe it belongs in a different place, but it's not part of this story. Hmm. You know? Or you've talked in the past about like, the length of time between your trip and when you like edit photos. I think that's fascinating because it seems like everyone does it differently. I know. <laughs> um, I put about like, like I'll come back from a trip and excitedly edit like the best stuff that I know is the best, but I won't like re release it for like months or like a year. And I find that when I go back to stuff after months, I'll, I'll just be much clearer headed. I'll be able to like do some of that calling myself. Yeah. Say I'll get it down to 30 and then I'll start asking friends, like start killing these. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cause it's, it is kind of like your little kids, right? Like <laughs> you can't kill them yourself. Something. Yeah. And you, I mean, you get attached cause uh, I don't know. Nature's awesome. You just have such a good time. That's how I am anyway. Yeah. Let's talk more about, about the editing uh, time frame because when, you know, probably up until just this last year, I pretty much always used to do it the same way. I would get home. I literally, before I even have my car unpacked, I'd have Lightroom fired up and I'd be uploading my, you know, getting my files onto my computer. Same. You know, and then probably that night I might edit a couple because I'm so mm -hmm. pumped about it. Mm -hmm. And I still probably will do a little bit of that, but I almost never release them because what I found is the longer time I put between the trip and the editing process, the more objective I am about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I think also like the, this is kind of like a thing I learned from Chinese tea ceremonies, but like the first edit I do is usually bad. Oh which, yeah. Which is too bad because it's usually the photo I'm most excited about, but it's like, <sighs> say, say you're in the redwoods. Um, you might, if, as you're editing images, you get better at editing a certain type of image, like right. foggy, huge trees with foliage. So, or like, like lots of green and like, how do I make it so there's not so much green color cast? And, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think giving a lot of time helps with that too. It's just like the quality of my edits can increase as well if I wait, but it's hard because I'm excited. It is. <laughs> Another thing is too that I've been noticing because I've been spending probably the last couple of weeks now, I've been going back and looking at stuff from like 2016 to 2019. Mm -hmm. And I found, I've found so many really good images that I never even edited mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, you know, I saw something in the moment. And then when I got home, I didn't get excited about it for whatever reason. But then having this distance between me and the image now, it's giving me space to, to find joy in looking at it. You know, it's weird. Well, I was talking to uh, Eric Bennett about that. So this is totally his idea. But essentially, he was like, oh, that's just because you had an idea back then, but you didn't realize it was good until now. And that was the beginning of that like artistic idea. And it just yeah. didn't make sense. Like it wasn't your style at the time, but maybe now it is. So now right. like, now it's like, oh, sweet. There's like actually good stuff here. So yeah, I kind of yeah. like dig through my old stuff every so often too. Yeah, it's really fun, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the other thing I heard you say 
I don't even remember where, maybe it was on Discord or something, but not only you were, you were talking about, you know, having 20 or 30 images, but you're also talking about how you order and change the color palette of Ooh. the images, which I thought was really interesting because I don't think I've ever heard anyone else do it quite the way you were describing. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think ordering is important. Say in like my um, theme galleries, like one of them is called like creative where I have like a bunch of like images that I think are creative, I guess. And like um, you, I have, I don't know, five or six like water abstracts. You might, uh, for, for my taste, I would probably want those to be broken up and like spread out so that you don't, the viewers not just scrolling through like six water abstracts in a row and getting tired of them. I would kind of rather break them up. I could see situations where um, you want them together as like a theme. Um, additionally, I've like, if you have like a thumbnail view where you have like three images in a row, you can kind of like pretend you're like really far away or like you have blurry vision. You can kind of just see like an overall look of the the colors and all the images and say like, oh, these, these three tend to be warm. These three tend to be cool. These three tend to be green. You might like, turn it into like a checkerboard pattern. So you don't have like all of them in a big clump that can kind of, I think that kind of like makes, makes it so like your eye doesn't get tired and just glaze over them. Hmm. But I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking too hard about it, but presentation. No, I think it makes sense. In, fact, okay. I, in Photoshop, you can kind of simulate that, right? Like you can create an average blur. Oh yeah. And it'll show you the overall colors of that image. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet if you did that with all your photos before you put them in the gallery, it'd be so much easier to just be like, okay, this one goes here, this one goes here, this one goes here. I like that idea. I've never, I should try that. We should both try that. <laughs> <laughs> and then see, like, our powers combine. It's like, <laughs> actually, I'll, I'll get real nerdy here. Like, um, I, I took a computational photography class in, in college. This is before I ever touched a camera. But like we learned about images and how they're they're just like uh, they're just like arrays of numbers, and to do stuff like stitch them together, uh, average colors, apply blur, all that, it's literally just doing math to numbers uh, in like a smart way. So you could so I could write a program that averages uh, all the colors together or something. It's I think it's and cool. then you, you could write code that just automatically rearranges your photos in your gallery based on that algorithm. Patent pending. There's a, <laughs> I'm telling you, buddy, you said you're out of work right now. I mean, <laughs> I just gave you a big project. Business idea. All right, yeah. Cool. We, we got to come up with a name for it, though. It's like, um, I don't know. I'm too slow on the feet for that one. But okay. I'll think about it. Yeah, well, maybe listeners can send in their ideas for the name of that program. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I want to div- dive a little bit deeper into your your um, the way you've curated your work. So mm. you'd kind of mentioned earlier, but on your website, uh, you've curated your work into four collections, uh, Homeland, Quiet, On Inspiration, and Creative, like you already mentioned. Mm. And I'm curious, what's been your process for not only separating out your work in that way into those different kind of piles, if you will, but also creating it when you're in the field. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think about that at all when I'm in the field. Like interesting. Okay. We, when I'm in the field, I'm just like, I'm just in like a hundred percent intuition mode. I would say like, I think too much in everyday life. Like I need to tone it down. So I, I love photography to be like, 
just intuitions. All the all the sorting and categorizing and all that comes after the fact. So um, those were just themes that I I found in my work, just like taking a step back and studying them. And I decided like these are just like some things about nature or about um, the way I see nature that I really want to communicate. And I like that they're like they're fuzzy. They're not um, they're not like super defined, which means that like I can go by feel. I can just be like, ah, this seems like a quiet one. Like like um, there, I'm thinking of an image of like a canyon I have where it's like there's really cool color contrast. It's like blue and yellow. Um, a lot of times that can be like grand, I guess. But like in that particular one, I'm like, ah, oh, the shape the shapes are so smooth that it feels quiet to me. So it's going in quiet. And then I have uh, another image in awe inspiration of the same canyon, blue and yellow color contrast, but like the shapes themselves are like hard. There's like hard, acute angles and stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like quiet. That seems like, uh, like grand and like amazing. So I put it in awe inspiration, just like as an example. So I kind of, I kind of like that. I can just kind of go by feel and move things around. And when you were, quote unquote, taking a step back and looking at your work. Did you have a <clears throat> a process for that, that you, know, you exported a bunch of your photos and then separating them into piles or like, what did that like literally look like? Oh, um, I wish I had printed them. That would have been easier, but I did it all in Lightroom. Yeah. So I just, I just made like a collection set. And then within the collection set, I made, um, let's see, what did I do? I think I know for Homeland, which is which is about images that are near my where I live, what I did was like that was probably the most involved one. Um, and there's also the most overlap that one with the other collections. So um, anyway, what I did was um, I just like went through all the images that I took in Minnesota and Michigan and Wisconsin, and I um, set a collection to my target collection, and then as I was going through them any of them that stuck out to me as, as like uh, particularly just like show, telling the viewer how awesome this area is, I would hit the B key, which adds the photo to your target collection. And um, I think by the time I was finished, I had like 80 images or something like that. And then I went through all of those and I, I like, I kind of like gave a description to each one using like three words, like, epic water, smooth water, uh, mysterious forest, like all that. So I made a, I don't know, like 15 collections, just like stuff like that. And what I was left with was a bunch of collections of like two or three images. And then I would pick like the best one. Um, then just, just to make sure there weren't like overlapping themes from there, there's always like a few photos that are like, man, this is like one of my favorite photos, it has to be in here. I can't have this buried away in the archives. I have to show it. So I picked some of those and kind of like we were describing before, just kind of like wrestling it down to like 30. And like, I think I got it down to like 34 or something. And then I had to start phoning a friend and being like, please someone help me. I can't, I can't choose which ones. The problem is next time I go out and shoot and if I make something I like, I'm going to have to like (laughs) do that again. (laughs) I know that is the, it's almost like when you get it to a place, you really like it. You're like, do I really need to go make any more photos? That's where I'm at now. I'm like, ah, I'm probably not going to ever make anything better. 
No, uh, so that was probably the most intense one of the four. The other ones are a bit looser, but mm-hmm. kind of just generally that process of just uh, going through a big pile of pictures and slowly whittling it down and making sure there's not too much overlap. Nice. And then are, is there any overlap between the four? Oh, no. Um, all the images are, they're all distinct, um, but you gotcha. would, I meant overlap like thematically, like I yeah, wouldn't yeah. want too many waterfall photos in mm-hmm. any one gallery, for example. No, I, I like that. It's uh, it's way different than the way I organize my own work, but uh, I think your way makes a lot of sense. Well, there's different there's different goals. I mean, I'm not yeah. trying to sell prints like at all, whereas like it seems like on your site, for example, you have like Colorado prints and like, um, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's, it's intentional. I mean, if it was just to show people collections, then it would, I I like your process a lot. Mm, And maybe I'll do both. Yeah. Do it. There's no reason not to. It's just time. (laughs) It honestly took a really long time. It was kind of ridiculous, but I, I, for some reason I, I, that's like the thing I care about the most is having like a really good collection on my website. I love that. That's awesome. Cool. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I know you've traveled a ton. You've been to what, 37 national parks? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, it seems like you do a lot of photography that's close to home. Why have you chosen to go that path? A lot of my stuff close to home is actually within the last two years. And maybe you can guess why. I no idea. <laughs> oh, there's actually a pandemic and uh, oh, I couldn't there? fly. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that was part of it. But like the other part of it is like when I'm shooting around here, I feel like I'm I'm rooting for the underdog kind of thing. Like <laughs> there's no there's not uh, there's one national park in Michigan and there's one in Minnesota. But other than that, there's no national parks and people don't really flock here. Um, there's no mountains. Um there's no cool deserts. So um, I feel like around here, and we still have awesome nature here. It's just a lot quieter. We have really awesome seasons. There's really awesome land that was formed by glaciers. The Great Lakes are really awesome. Mm-hmm. You've been to Boundary Waters, uh, which yeah, is a great place to canoe. Great place. Uh, awesome nature, like all over here. But it's just not well known and people don't go here much. So yeah, I just I just feel like um I really want to like tell people it's like the Midwest is not just corn. Um or in the winter it's not just a big sheet of snow. The winter sheets of snow are great for photography. <laughs> <laughs> Come here for the sheets of snow. It's awesome. You're right, you're right. <laughs> um another example is like my favorite thing recently has been photographing oak trees and oh, I was telling yeah. I was telling a friend out west about how awesome are oak trees they're big and they're fireproof and like super cool and uh i think out west some places oak trees are like scrub oak so like people don't even know that oak trees are amazing it's like the coolest tree we have so like i just want to tell tell people about it you know yeah yeah that's one thing i've noticed about you is you got a big a big heart for nature um similar to myself but yeah. You're not af- you're not afraid to to say it. Oh man. It's so true. I mean, sometimes I'm out there and I'm just overwhelmed. I'm like, I love it. I love yeah. canyons. I love trees. Like Yeah. I don't know, it just gets me excited. Does your you're married, right? I am. Yep. Does does your does your wife ever 
does she share that exuberance or does she kind of uh, make fun of you a little bit? That's what, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what my wife does. She just, she kind of makes fun of me. She's like, why don't you go have a little date with nature? <laughs> uh, both. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> been to like 35 of those 37 parks with me. So like, that's something we both love to do as well, which is, which is awesome. But sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm going to keep sleeping in the tent and you can go hiking at sunrise uh, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to recline on this rock and read a book while you take pictures of a puddle for 30 minutes. Right. Sounds and good. tree bark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I'm curious uh, what motivates you to keep making new work given that the system you've set up for yourself makes it very difficult to keep it organized in the same way. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I, I think just nature photography in general, just like keeps pushing and challenging me as a person. Like one, like physically, like I really like to backpack into remote areas and, uh, uh, especially being from 950 feet elevation, like I need to be in good shape to hike in the mountains. I still get yeah. my butt kicked. Uh, so physically, but then also, um, like artistically, it's like my, probably my main creative outlet and just like, um, more and more, especially as I read more guy tall books, I like the expressive side of things. It's really hard to do, but like, um, it's kind of just like a never ending challenge that always gets deeper, um, to make images that like mean something to me. And like, the biggest challenge is to make images that mean something to someone else. So I just find all of that like endlessly fascinating. Um, it's just so, it just seems like a thing I could do my whole life. Yeah. What you said there was interesting about um, making work for yourself, but also for your audience. And I'm curious for you, what's the difference? Hmm. If there is any. Hmm. I don't think about my audience very much. I th I think if they do like something, if I do, if I can create something expressive that they love, I mean, that's amazing. But like I shoot entirely for myself and I don't really think <laughs> about what people like. I mean, it's probably happened to you before, but like, I mean, haven't you ever shot a photo that you love and it seems like no one around you does? Oh yeah, a, like 90% of my photos. <laughs> <laughs> um like it's such a weird place to be in, but um yeah, I just I guess I um I take the approach of just like I do what I love and I put it out there and if I if no one likes it or whatever, I'm just going to keep going. If people like it, it feels great. Have you ever fallen into the trap of chasing results for your photography? Mm. <clears throat> or do you even would you even think would you even call that a trap i was just gonna say that's like a little bit of a leading question that's all right a little bit <laughs> being um i would say my first few years photographing it was definitely a trap and it was like a lot of um fruitless striving for for really great epic images and um i think i I still like really driven to, to do it, but I think I was just like almost always dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, within the last few years, uh, I'm definitely more like experience driven. Like I love to just go on awesome 
hikes and camping trips and take photos along the way. But I don't think it's realistic to think that you'll have zero expectations. It's like, you know, if I go to Death Valley and I walk to the sand dunes, I'm going to take a photo of the dunes for sure. Um, Maybe I've just developed the confidence over the years that I know that I can take at least one photo somewhere that I like. Right. Get given a few days, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say I have no expectations, but I think they're just like, there's the expectations are so low and so vague that I can always fulfill them somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I'm wondering, I have so many questions. I guess my first question is like, what was the turning point for you? Hmm. Um, yeah, I was looking at my, my archive today is, Sometime around 2018, I think, um, I don't know if there was like a particular, like one moment, um, but I don't know, just, just over time there was, hmm, I think it was just gradual. Just over time I found that I just had more fun when I was taking, um, more images of like more intimate things, which kind of just means like you can shoot during more of the day. You can like, I think you can communicate more emotions um or just like more photos means that you can communicate more ideas so mm-hmm. if you can shoot more photos then uh, you can express more um i think there's um it's it's more f- i realized it was just like more fun to have a bunch of different compositional ideas as well um i think it was just yeah discovering variety over time yeah I had an experience, I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I mean, it was literally one of those things where I had this high expectation of a, an amazing sunrise from a location I can only really photograph one time a year at peak condition in autumn and sunrise was not good at all in terms of what I had in my mind. I'm sure there was thousands of other great photos right around me. Um, but I was very focused on this very one composition that I wanted, right? And it was just very demoralizing. And, you know, because I had to take time off of work and blah, blah, blah. I think everyone has this experience, right? Mm-hmm. So then I took a hike. I went back to the roots of what I why I got into photography to be. It was like, I was just loving out there. Went on this hike up a trail I'd never been up before. And I didn't even look at the map where it went. And it took me up to this awesome overlook, overlooking one of the most amazing scenes I've ever seen in my life that I'd never seen anyone take a photo of before. Hmm. And that was just a game changer for me. It was like resetting like everything. Oh, that's cool. Is that like a portfolio image that that we can still look at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. You'll have to show me which one it is. Yeah, it's called called Big Blue Wilderness. it's It's a big old pano. Well, I've been back to that spot probably like 10 times now. <laughs> you know? That reminds me, you saying that was like another thing about, um, I guess, releasing expectations and shooting that way is like you can create a lot more unique imagery. Yeah, like you, absolutely. You, you went to that overlook that sounds like you hadn't seen anyone shoot before or like the smaller you're shooting, uh, like the more zoomed in you're shooting, uh, the less likely anyone can uh can replicate that as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, um, I think it was the following year after that is when I started doing more of that type of work, um, for the same reasons. Like it was just more fun and, you know, like you didn't have to worry about 
if you get made a good photo or not, like you were going to find something that interested you. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like unlocking a puzzle versus what I typically used to do was the puzzle was already unlocked. It was just waiting for nature to do exactly what I needed it to do, which is so (laughs) unrealistic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember when you put out that, like, um, you have one that's like decaying leaves for example. Yeah. That was the next, that was the next fall. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that one's awesome. Yeah. And I can't take much credit for that because I was wandering around the forest with David Kingham and he was shooting like right, right in there. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And yeah. But, but it, it planted the seed. Yeah, it did for sure. Yeah. From pretty much that trip forward was a seminal moment for sure. Cause I was honestly, I was pretty disenchanted with photography in general mm-hmm, I was like mm-hmm. is this really what it's all about or it's got to be more you know so one of the bigger turning points for me i think was my first trip to utah where i like went on like a solo backpacking trip and figured out how awesome canyons were um yeah <laughs> i mean th- those are places you can shoot like all day so uh just kind of fell in love there but um i guess for me most it was pretty gradual i think yeah, yeah. I also just never figured out how to shoot wide. Like all of my wide angle photos are pretty bad. So <laughs> I just finally found the way it works. Yeah, it's actually not easy. It's really hard. I think. <laughs> move like a centimeter and it makes or breaks it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I feel like I had like 20 more questions around that, but I've lost them all because we got deep <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah. Well, let's, um, I want to talk more about this idea of your audience. Um, mm. so, so what is your approach for reaching your audience? Oh man, I'm probably like the worst person in the world, um, to ask about that because I'm not, I'm never like trying to grow them really. I mean, my audience is like my friends and family and then pretty much just like nature photographers, as far as I can tell, like I really just like interacting with other nature photographers in the community. So like that's probably maybe that's one reason why I like shooting, like trying to shoot unique and like original things is like, it's like fun to interact with other photographers in that, in that way, like trading ideas and becoming inspired and inspiring others. I don't, I don't know if my photos necessarily mean much to the average person, uh, non-photographer, but um, anyway, to, to reach my audience, I mean, I really like having an email newsletter. It's a uh, small but mighty, but I think it's important for people to have a way to interact with their audience that doesn't go through like a social media company. Um, yeah, it's rented space. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, but then on on social media, I guess I just um, I like to just post every just week or two, just interact with people. It's usually quite painful for me, but I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I have to, I don't know. It's like hard to describe. It's like, I wouldn't feel comfortable spending all this time doing this stuff and just like having prints in my house and, and uh, digital files on my computer, like I have to share them. So I do post stuff on social media every so often as well. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, that is more about the community aspect mm-hmm. than it is trying to grow an audience. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's like, I like being part of a community and I like sharing my 
photos with that community and I like to interact with those people and I can't do that if I don't participate in it. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think if that's your mindset for social media, I think it can be very healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't even use like hashtags, for example. Neither, hardly ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if they're effective. I used to, but it just kind of got annoying. It's like, I'm trying to reduce the friction as much as possible so that I actually do it. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I struggle with the like, um, kind of like unspoken reciprocity where it's like, Oh, right. We both have to share each other's stuff and we both have to compliment each other all the time. And it's like, I do, I, I do really appreciate compliments. And I do love giving them. I just don't like it when it's like expected. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, you're probably familiar with this, but, the what I think a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of accounts out there that, get tons of traction and it's because they belong to these hives where you're on like a WhatsApp channel with each <laughs> other. And every time someone posts, they put a link to it and everyone who's in that group has to go comment on it Oh my god! to drive the engagement up. It's a thing, man. I feel like I learned something about the dark underbelly of the internet every time I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, that, goes, that goes back to my comments about, being an amateur where it's like, I want a hundred percent of my time and effort about to be about making photos. Like I'm not going to sit in a WhatsApp chat room and upvote people's stuff. I would rather be editing photos. (laughs) It is pretty crazy, but I mean, it works though. uh, If your goal is to, what what does works mean? I mean, I've, I've heard conflicting things about huge numbers, even meaning much in terms of like sales or like engagement. There are things other than just, Two well, emojis. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's engagement farming. Anyway. I like I like being friends with uh, photographers that I admire. And then like our commentary back and forth are like, you know, it's clear that we are being genuine and right. looked at each other's photos and have things to say about them. That's my right. favorite kind of in- engagement. Yeah, there's nothing worse than... It happens on Twitter a lot, actually. But like, you'll see it's pretty obvious when it happens. But someone will post like two or four images kind of thematic and they're usually not good. Like, like stuff that, I mean, I'm just being honest, like stuff that we would have, I'm just saying it's just not good at all. (laughs) Okay. But then all these other people with huge followings, all of a sudden like and comment, like it has like 800 Mm. likes and you look at their account it has like 600 followers and Mm. they have created it like two weeks ago. Mm. And then you look at the people who, commented on it and stuff and they're all doing the same thing they're creating the same types of posts oh that's so odd yeah it's i'd rather very just strange i actually like i don't know this may sound weirdly strange but one day i just was like really trying to figure it out and so i like started making notes of the names and and then i just started connecting all the dots and i was like oh i see what's happening now <laughs> yeah i would rather just edit photos that takes I know. Me long. <laughs> it takes me long enough i <laughs> got no time for that yeah, it was, yeah, it just, I don't know, like whole gamification of platforms. I just, it, to me, it's uh, it's just so gross. Yeah, I feel kind of dirty. Totally dirty. All right. Well, that, that was fun. <laughs> Let's see here. Let's talk more about the intimate style. So like you said before, you've shifted more towards photographing more intimate scenes away from the grand landscapes. I think we're seeing 
a trend of that happening yeah. in landscape photography and nature photography, which I like. Mm. You know, I like both, but I feel like there's more opportunity for personal expression mm -hmm. in that type of work. So I'm curious what is pushing you in that direction beyond what we've already discussed. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think it just has a lot to do with um, original, well, a lot of things we discussed. I mean, being able to shoot original things, being able to make more work that we like, being able to, I think we were talking about being excited about nature before. I think you can, um, with photography, be much more specific about your excitement. Like, look how awesome this leaf, this like single leaf is compared to if you took a wide shot. Um, it wouldn't be as clear to the viewer, like uh, the specific thing that you really like. Mm -hmm. I think more so with intimate work, you can shoot all day, which is just fun a lot of the time. Hmm. It seems like it'd be easier too to <clears throat> create thematic work. Hmm. I think, yeah, probably. I mean, you can really pick stuff out. Like uh, when you're looking at like a huge view, uh, say you had a theme in mind, you could, you just have a lot more opportunity to, to pick a single bit out on, and create that way. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have a lot more uh, deeper answers to say. I think it's pretty simple. <laughs> That's all right, man. All right. That's all right. Okay. Let's, uh, I want to talk about some of some specific images that you have on your website because they mm. really spoke to me and hopefully you can tell us a little bit of some backstory. So in your quiet collection, you have a photograph called Little Mosaic, mm. which is a simple yet powerful presentation of fallen leaves that seem to make like a circular pattern. It's really quite lovely. Um, can you talk about what went into the creation of that photo? Yeah. And uh, thank like you. How long did it take you to place all those leaves? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So there's, yeah, there's a, there's a short story and a long story. Um, the short story is I pretty much woke up from my tent and walked over and shot it in like 30 seconds. No way. <laughs> it's like not that good of a story. Um, but uh, the, the long story is that like it was taken in like a very remote mountain range. And uh, in order to do that hike, I trained for like months uh, out of the year to get ready like physically for it. And then I flew across the country and drove a few hours and then hiked like 25 miles in the mountains, which and got altitude sickness <laughs> and slept a couple of nights below freezing and had all kinds of type two fun. And uh, then just, yeah, I woke up uh, before sunrise and walked over to the lake I was near and it was below freezing. So I think that was just like a little eddy next to like a lake. And it just happened to freeze. Um, it was going to be above freezing once the sun hit it. But before the sun hit it, they were just frozen in that little spiral pattern. And like, I mean, sometimes a, a composition I'll work on for an hour or whatever. But that one was literally just like, click. That's the obvious composition. That's it. That's so, awesome. I guess that's, that's something I kind of like about um, those intimate images. It's like, to me, when I look at them, there's like, a, there can be a, large story behind them um that is just maybe it's never obvious to the viewer of course but it's just kind of like my own little my own little thing like i i smirk when i see it like i could have taken that photo like you know like in my backyard but it was on like 
the most epic trip I've ever taken. I right. think I, I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, it'll always remind you of that hike. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, which for me is like for nature photography is for me is one of the main reasons why I continue to do it is to keep building those memories and experiences and the photographs are like a way to memorialize those those experiences. Yeah. Do you ever forget stuff? Like you must forget some of the mountains you've climbed. You've climbed like every mountain. I mean <laughs> I haven't had that many beers yet. So <laughs> No well I mean like back when I started uh traveling to national parks, it was like I could tell you like the exact order of all the parks I went in. I could tell mm. you like every place I went. I could tell you like how, like every detail about the trip, all everything I shot. But uh, I think it's, I'm a little sad in that slowly over time, it's like I forget those as I do more and more trips, but I'm really glad that the photos are there to, to, uh, um, to remind me. I guess that's not terribly deep because that's what most people do with photos. But like, I never shoot little snapshots. I only shoot like, you know, my artsy stuff. So, <laughs> uh, turns out there's actually been psychological research on this. Ooh, tell me more. Yeah. Uh, so people that have been able to pair like a fine art photograph versus a snapshot, you know, of just like from their cell phone or whatever, but someone who takes the time to craft a photo of a scene that is part of a trip, they have much greater recollection of the memory of that trip than the people who didn't do that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Where, where can I sign up for a study like that? That sounds fun. Right? Well, yeah. Maybe <laughs> you already did and you don't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's totally true, though. I mean, when I look at my photos, like I, it all a lot of it comes rushing back. Yeah. I mean, I the way I have my Lightroom catalog organized is kind of that way. Like, it's in you know, 2017 mountains and then the trips that I did. So like, it's always in chronological mm -hmm. order. And so that's just the way my, that's probably why I haven't forgotten yet. <laughs> okay. But yeah. All right. You have a, you have another image in your creative collection called Beyond the Lines of Reason, which is a really stunning image. Can you tell us about that one and what went into the creation of, of it? Yeah, that was another um, another like backcountry vignette. Um, it was taken in like northern Arizona in the desert in an area that had like a bunch of red badlands. Um, I did some just like some scouting on Google Earth before the trip and just found like this like series of washes i could walk up a few miles and then camp among the badlands and just some of those washes um still had uh puddles of water in it i don't think it had rained in a while but they still had water and because the the land was red made the water a reddish color um this was a sh this was taken you know in the middle of the day the sun was as high in the sky as it could be and um i think just from years of like shooting a billion water abstracts that I never show anyone. I, I kind of just can, can see one from far away. So I noticed like the, the sun was sparkling in, in that red puddle. Um, and it was actually a pretty gusty day, which, which helps. So I just kind of got out my, I told my friends, 
take a snack break, please. <laughs> and got out my uh, tripod and camera and uh, uh, just started playing around. I mean, that's like one of my, my favorite things is like experimenting. So um, I shot this like single puddle from all different angles. I noticed that when I would, uh, when the wind would gust, um, if I was using the same shutter speed, the, the sun was no longer like sparkling in the water it would be a little blurry. So I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'll play with shutter speed now. So I, I took some photos that were faster shutter speed to, to make like, say just like sun stars or whatever. And then yeah. I took some that were longer shutter speed. I didn't bring my ND filter, but um, I think it was enough to lower my ISO and crank it to like F40 or some aperture to like F40 or something. And yeah, just, uh, I would wait for the, the wind to gust again and blow the puddle. And then I would just shoot a bunch. Um, so I probably have like two or 300 frames of this one dumb puddle. <laughs> and, uh, I picked that one out of it. Um, just cause I thought the lines looked, I mean, the, the thing just looks really alien to me. It's like a really yeah, weird I mean, photo. You didn't tell me it was a puddle. I mean, I assumed it was maybe a water abstract, but like, that's about it i mean yeah it could have been taken anywhere i i've well i haven't seen many red badlands like that or there's it probably out there but i'm just from wisconsin but um yeah i, I just thought it was unique and like just like kind of cool and um i ripped the title from uh lateralis by tool it's a lyric ah. in there <laughs> ah. uh, like a lot of my titles are um yeah yeah that's it cool man all right well then wrapping things up who would you like to recommend our listeners know more about? Um, some photographers that came to mind that haven't been on the show. Um, some inspirations for me, like Floris Van Bruegel, um, Theo Bossboom. Um, he's a very creative photographer. Um, yes. I, have his, I have his book and it's amazing. And um, I'm recording with him here soon. I can't wait for that. That's yeah. awesome. Um, QT Long, who made um, Treasured Lands, which is one of my favorite photography books. You got it back there? Yeah. Nice. That yeah. is just like a, an epic. It, it'll, it says the word Odyssey on the cover, and it's not an exaggeration. It's, no, it's, it's truly incredible. It's, it's like a whole experience. Yep. I use that book when I'm trip planning a lot. Um, I was also thinking like uh, Aaron Tolley and John Muma were some other people I like to interact with online that yeah. whose work I really like. Yeah. John's a, he's a fun guy. I've been out photographing with him a couple of times now. I, uh, I went to Hunts Mesa with him and Kane and Adam Cavalunas and Paul Rojas and Mish Rojas a few years ago. Nice. And Bob Miller was on that trip too. John does not have a website. I really wish he did because his work is killer and it would be incredible if it was more curated, but I know it's all good. Go to his Flickr. And he doesn't even like use his own name online. <laughs> <laughs> I, I dig, I dig that. He, I think I've never met him, but I bet he's into it for, you know, the experience and the yeah, craft. For sure. That's my style. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also did a trip with him out to the Bistai with him and Cecil Witt. Oh, nice. Which was really fun. That's nice. I always yeah. wanted to go there too. Haven't been there yet. Yeah, and it's only like two hours from my house. Oh, jealous. <laughs> awesome, Brent. Well, this has been a lot of fun, my man. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Again, thanks for having me. Um, oh, of course. Huge honor. 
Yeah, your work is awesome. So keep up the great work. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks to Brent for the wonderful chat on the podcast today. I really enjoyed learning about how you curate your images for your website. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can listen to 20 more minutes of conversation on our Patreon bonus episode where Brent and I talk about our strategies for trip planning and we tell some stories about things that have happened to us out in the field, including a time I was shot at. If you want to check that out, uh, you can support the podcast on Patreon for $5 a month or $50 per year. It helps a lot. Thanks to everyone else who already has, including our newest patron, Dario Perizzolo. I also received a really touching email from one of our newest members, Mary Brisson, who had this to say about the podcast. In each show, I hear something that motivates me, gives me an idea, or illuminates a question that's been on my mind. I particularly appreciate a feeling of being part of the community that you are building, especially when you mention people that I know and admire. Occasionally, I toss in a comment of my own out loud. Often I laugh, which I love to do. I've been moved to tears. These are some of the reasons that I value what you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Mary. I really appreciate the positive feedback and your financial assistance. Next up on the podcast is Holger Mischke, a German photographer who has a lot to say. And after that, we have Simon Baxter, who was a pure delight to record with. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.